This podcast series is brought to you by Elekanyani Ndlovu. For more details, visit elekanyani.com. My name is Elekanyani Ndlovu and welcome to Manifesto. Manifesto is about challenging one another. I want to talk about our relationship with money. And the trigger for me for this conversation is the interview I had last week with Nonu. Nonu used to be in finance and she moved into farming. In that interview, she stated how the support she got from her parents included her parents or her father giving her a salary for her to move to the farm and to work. And it's what she said that triggered this thought for me. She said, support was not just them merely saying come to the farm who we will support you will pat you on the back but they gave her actual financial resources for her to be able to make that choice and make that decision and in that way she said she had the freedom to actually then explore that opportunity i'm a parent so when i was listening to her i could feel the desire to give your child the freedom to be the freedom to think to buy them the time to search for who they are what they want and to be in a space where they feel valued and they're adding value and learning and growing and finding ways to fully express themselves and who they are and how do you buy that freedom I had a conversation last week with a with a colleague and it was a WhatsApp call so on the WhatsApp call I could see a picture of her child and it was a baby girl she's wearing probably either her mother's shoes or someone much older than her and these shoes are massive relative to her that picture took me back to 1993 to remembering myself in oversized shoes i was at a primary school in chiawero called mambo primary school in those years we still had the trips to the ocean that were organized by the stasiside fund and what that organization did is that it went around schools in the townships and they picked the top performers in those schools to durban took you to the sea they took you out to play games it it's just this beautiful excursion and in 1993 i was selected to go these trips happened in june july i think but whenever they happened it was cold in johannesburg i didn't have boots and i was living in johannesburg on a very cold day my sister who is 9 years older than me gave me her boots and she was like listen you're going to wear these boots we're going to put tissues at the front there because they are boots and they go all the way to your knees no one will know that they don't fit you as i was looking at this child on this picture i kept thinking to myself this is how i must have looked like that relative to my size those boots must have been massive those are some of the moments that when i think about them they remind me that we've come a long way as a family i've come a long way as a person who had to borrow boots to go on a school trip 
to being financially independent and being able to think about creating a future for our children. One way of doing that is having the financial resources. And I was thinking about my own journey. When I started working, we were based in Secunda. As you can imagine, there's really nothing much to do in Secunda. I mean, I think over time that's gotten better. But when we were there, we had one or two restaurants we could go to. And because of that, we found ourselves in Joburg a lot. You know, being young is a wonderful thing because sometimes we would drive from Secunda Thursday after work, go for dinner somewhere in Johannesburg, then drive back to Secunda, go to work Friday morning and at 12 when we knocked off because at the plant you knock off early, we would drive back to Joburg. The habits then were so strange because then we would get to Joburg, maybe go to Rosebank Mall or wherever we end up and would buy new clothes to go out that evening. I mean, obviously, when you think about it now, it does not make sense. But that's the type of life we were living. And that was just what we were going to do and what made sense. And there was really no financial literacy to back up any of the decisions that we were making. We were just doing what we were doing. And you don't drop those type of things very easily. And it wasn't until... My credit card debt just didn't make sense. And I was like, what's going on here? And I think I got into a panic to say, but why is this like this, you know? And then I took a keen interest around financial literacy. And I just started reading about how to take care of your money, how to invest, what you can invest in. In fact, where to start if all you have is a job, really, and you have nothing else. There's no trust fund for you to rely on. There's no big savings somewhere. There's no rich parents to call upon. And I came across this book, The Richest Man in Babylon. It took me reading that book that got me thinking about where to start because I suppose I'd never really thought about it or talked about it with anyone which is incredible right is that you can actually become an adult have an entire job and not have really talked about financial literacy with anyone the only things my parents told me my dad would repeat this all the time to say whatever happens make sure you don't run out of money for rent because you need a place to stay Number two, you don't run out of money for food because then what? Number three, you make sure you don't run out of money for transport to get you to the job that gives you the money that pays for your food and for your rent. So that I had covered because I had guidance, you know, always paid rent on time, always had petrol money, always, always had food. Having food is part of what I spent my money on because I would want my fridge to be full. I really just don't like empty fridges. I want fridges like those fridges that they they showed on the adverts on TV growing up and on the newspapers that have those fridge adverts where oh, this fridge is just so beautifully packed, you know, stacked with all sorts of goodies. I have such food issues. So I spend 
a lot of money on food because I want a full fridge. And I spend a lot of money on food because I want to eat out. Like food is an actual thing. I want a variety of food. I want to taste all sorts of food. And I want to feel like I have the option to choose the food I want to eat, you know. And I think that's just, again, a function of growing up in a very financially constrained environment where there wasn't necessarily a full fridge all the time. There was basic utility. So for me, food is one area where I just spend a lot of money in a way that doesn't even make sense. I have put controls in place now to try and manage that and also to have a constructive conversation with self around the fear of an empty fridge. So I am working on that and it's a lot more controlled than it used to be, you know, before. And so that really gave me a starting point to say, how do I deal with this thing called money? How do I manage it? And what surprised me is the amount of years it took me to get some of these principles right. I'm proud of the progress I've made, but it took years. It took a lot of time. And it's just something we barely talk about, right? We're all sitting at restaurants swiping our cards as if all of us can afford it when half the time you probably should not be eating out because you actually can afford to, you know? And it's those difficult conversations that we don't have because, I mean, who wants to talk about affordability in a life where you're supposed to look like you can afford your life, you know? But what the impact of that is, is that then we're not planning for our futures in a way that's sustainable, meaning that we cannot create any economic transformation shift for other generations to come and for our children and that for me is what saddens me and it's thinking about that that kept me going back to the principles and trying them and trying them even when I fell back into old habits of living beyond my means and say go back to the principles make sure you have certain things in place you know and Reading that book liberated me. If you read The Richest Man in Babylon, it has the seven cures. From those seven cures, I worked out questions to ask yourself. I used those questions to guide my journey to reframing my relationship with money. The first question I asked myself was, what percentage of my salary do I put into savings on a monthly basis? And those savings can do anything. They can go into investments. They can go into realizing dreams. They really can be for anything. And then I would ask myself, do I live within my means? I mean, that is a million dollar question. Can my available cash cover all my expenses? To be honest, there was a period when it didn't because I was making really weird decisions. And on the basis of that, I would then just overflow onto my credit card. And what fascinates me about that is that I had zero shame. I had no shame in doing that. That's what I was doing and that's just how I was living my life. And then I asked myself the question, is the money I save invested in a good vehicle and does it earn good interest? 
Am I keeping it saved long enough to take advantage of compound interest? The fourth question is, am I invested where my capital is preserved? Do I understand risk and what level of risk I should avoid or engage with? Are my possessions insured against loss and do I have life insurance? Do I own my own home or am I paying off someone's asset through rent? Do I have retirement savings and will they be adequate? Am I in charge of my career and am I brilliant at what I do? Am I earning what I should be earning? If not, why? What am I going to do about it? Do I show self-respect by having my affairs in order? Do I pay my debt on time? Do I spend on things I cannot afford? Do I take care of my family? Do I have a will? Do I help others and give to those in need? I formulated those questions from reading each cure that the richest man in Babylon presents and those questions became the basis through which I engage my relationship with money and I engage my relationship with my work and my craft. I engage the learning around what it is I want to understand about wealth creation, about investments, and those were the questions. And it stemmed from just being in a place where when you look at yourself, you just don't understand why you are in the situation that you're in. And I mean, I know there are different schools of thoughts around should you really have a retirement annuity or invest your money somewhere else? But the point is, do you have a plan of what happens when your ability to earn an income has dried up? There's a lot of schools of thoughts around owning your own home versus being in the shared economy or the rental economy. You know, those are just the questions that had come up when I was reading that book and that really have helped me to set a form of foundation when I didn't have any from a financial literacy perspective and that have helped me to then venture into reading even more around the whole wealth creation space, thinking about all I have is my job, where do I go from here? And that book for me answered a lot of the questions that I feel for someone who's just trying to get their life in order and their basics in place, those were some really good questions and answering them all has taken me years and be able to say, yes, I am doing that. Yes, I have that in place. Yes, I'm living within my means. And yes, I have done this and that has taken years. And I thought, let me share that. Some of the things that stood out for me were that being wealthy is a choice and that you will succeed at it relative to how much effort you put into it, right? And that being good at what you do doesn't mean you'll be rich. And also that it's important to be prepared for opportunities. One way to do that is to be diligent because if you are diligent, then you inevitably are prepared for opportunity. The way to self-mastery is doing the things that you set yourself to do and doing them when you said you would do them because then you start trusting yourself. Unless you choose and unless you are diligent and committed to starting the journey, 
then you just won't create any wealth and you just won't go anywhere. And he talks about respecting your craft and working on your craft and using your craft as the stepping stone to creating an income that you can then invest. And then he gets into the principles around saving at least 10% of your money, no matter how small you earn. And I remember having a conversation with my little sister, having realized that we all need someone to have a conversation with us about money. And I said to her, it doesn't matter how much you earn. What matters is that you learn the discipline of paying yourself first, the discipline of saving. What matters is how you treat the money you make, the respect you show to the money you make, the agreements you make with the money you make, and, you know, the partnership you have with the money you make. That's what's up. That's what matters. Then I speak from a place where I had maxed my credit card, paid it off, maxed it again, then paid it off, And then really started panicking about what is happening until I realized unless I change my relationship with money, unless I learn and teach myself, read and ask questions and move into a space where I understand what I'm doing, it won't change and it doesn't change on its own. And so that's what I wanted to talk about this week is that are you running out of time? perpetually justifying behaviors and actions that you shouldn't, that don't have a long-term benefit for you or your children. And that's my challenge to us this week, to think about the futures that we are creating for generations to come. Part of the reason why I can think about how do I start creating a future for the next generation is because my basics are in order. And now it's about how do you genuinely make structural transformation, really shift the dial for the next generation. If you are like me and you have children, what is it you're doing today that is buying them the freedom to be? What collateral are you building for them? that will help them have the freedom to choose. I'm not advocating that we have children that are spoon-fed and walk into an environment where everything is done for them. That's not what I'm saying. Along with that freedom, along with those opportunities and along with those privileges should come the education that supports that and the responsibilities and the value systems that support that. What is our baseline that makes the next generation have it easier? That means that the next generation does not have to deal with black techs, but they can invest in themselves and in the communities around them and in expressing their gifts and their talents to contribute to this world. What are you doing today? I would love to hear from you. Please share your thoughts, ideas, and experiences with me on erendlovu.com or send an email to womanifesto at erendlovu.com. Until next week, thank you and God bless.